A couple of passages from John, they're from the same chapter, but we're going we're gonna to break up a little bit here. Uh, but you'll see where it is because of the ellipse that's in there. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And then skipping ahead a bit. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Father, I thank you for the power of your word, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. You're coming in. I pray that you would invade each heart. I pray that you would make cold hearts warm, that you would make hard hearts soft, that you would make dead hearts quickened and alive today, Father, through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're celebrating a historical fact. For centuries, the call and response among Christians has been, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Or you could say Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So why don't I call it and you respond at this time like you, like you actually believed it, okay? He is risen. Indeed, that word really, I think, is a combination of two words, a deed, something that actually happened, something that literally and actually took place. And the whole of our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that, that is really the center of it all. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Uh, 
I've heard some preaching that was useless anyway. And, and maybe, maybe at times I've even done some of it. But the, the, the important thing there is your faith. Your faith. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then your faith means nothing. In fact, over in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. All of those things that Jesus died for to take away from you, if he wasn't raised from the dead, you're still in them. But he has been raised from the dead. The first Christian sermon that was ever preached, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and he said this, but God raised him, that is Jesus, from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. There are those today who would be Christian Sadducees, if you will. Such a thing's actually possible. If you were here last week, you heard me talking about the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in uh, miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural. I, yet they claimed to be Jews who worshiped the Most High God. I don't know how they felt. I don't know how they thought their ancestors got across the Red Sea since they didn't believe in miracles. But apparently they didn't. And there are Christians today who would claim to be Christians, but but be Sadducees in this regard. And the, the thing is, they would say that the resurrection was not a literal physical event. And they would try to explain it off in some spiritual terms, as if they understood spiritual terms. But they do err because they do not know the scriptures and they do not know the power of God. John testifies to Jesus eating with them by the Sea of Galilee. Illusions do not cook your breakfast for you. Mirages don't, don't make biscuits. Luke testifies to him eating with two at Emmaus. And that, well, he didn't actually eat with them. He, he walked with them. He talked with them. He, he, he prayed and he, and he broke bread. You know, illusions don't break bread. Bread stays all in one piece if there's nothing touching it, something physical touching it. And Luke also, when he talks about Jesus appearing to the disciples for the first time after he was raised from the dead. <laughs> he came to them and they were, they, were, they were a little creeped out. I mean, seriously. You know, if you, if, you, if you had somebody that you knew, that you watched die, you know, three days ago and saw them being buried and, that all, and, they, came in, and they came to your house, Yeah, you would leave your house, <laughs> probably screaming. And that's kind of what, what they wanted to do. I mean, this, this was, was really freaky. And so Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why, why do doubts arise in your mind? It's not like I wasn't telling you for a long time that this is exactly what was going to happen. They were human beings. We don't always listen. He said, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me. See that, that it is me. And, and, and apparently some of them did. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still didn't believe. I mean, they were full of joy. They were amazed. But they were kind of going, this isn't really, this isn't, no, this isn't really happening, is it? And Jesus finally said, you got any food? Bring me some fish. I, I will eat something for you. And it will disappear before your eyes. Jesus and my dad both love fish. 
and, and could make it disappear. Eyewitnesses are the, the gold coin of historical research. And John, the guy who, whose gospel we're reading from today, in his epistle, wrote this. In fact, in fact 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. What we're talking to you about is something we've seen, something we've touched. I was there. It, 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 was, it was literal. Any of you ever played rumor? It's where you got a room full of people and you put them all in a circle and one of them tells the person next to them something and you find out what it actually turns into by the time it gets around to the, to the end of the circle. And, it, and it's always, it's always it's funny or whatever because it always changes. But not with the eyewitness. Not with the first one. Are witnesses biased? Well, of course they're biased. I mean, witnesses are biased. Historians are biased. Theologians are biased. Uh, critics are biased. They're, everybody's, we're human beings. Okay? But we tend to... We tend to view the early disciples from our perspective and think that they know where this was all going. And so they had an agenda to take it there. We, we think that they all know that, oh, one of these days, oh, it, hundreds of years from now, almost 2,000 years from now, a guy in a red vest and, and, and candy-striped shoes is going to get up on Sunday morning and he's going to talk about us. Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? You may think you know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you don't really. Do you have any plans? Have you ever had any plans go awry? Have you ever had anything work out different from the way you thought it was going to work out? These were human beings. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't thinking, oh boy, this is going to be big someday. They were just thinking, this is true. People don't die for lies. People will not give up their lies for what they know is a lie. The founder, maybe, maybe the founder. I mean, maybe, maybe the founder goes, you know, I'm so deep into this thing. Let's just ride this horse the whole way and keep going. I'm not saying that Jesus did, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, maybe you could see the founder of a, of a thing Maybe giving up his life, even though he knows, eh, this isn't really. And maybe this, and the second generation, you know, if Uncle Bob said it's true, then boy, it's true. I'll, I'll take it to my grave, whatever it stands for, because I trust Uncle Bob. But Uncle Bob won't die for what he knows to be a lie. First generation won't do that. And this generation died for what they said we saw, we touched, we were there. As with all of Scripture, there's a lot of detail revealed if you've got eyes to see and are looking for it. Seeing's not always believing. Uh, the first passage that we read here is about Peter and John hearing that Jesus, well, that the tomb was empty and running to the tomb. And I don't really like this picture, but it was the only one I could find. And there's a couple of reasons I don't like it. Uh, one is because nobody runs like this. Police. And, and even though, you know, even though he's, uh, John was probably the youngest of the disciples, he would have had a beard or he would have at least been trying at that time. And, and, and this guy hadn't, but, but, I, but I love the expressions on their faces. I love the, uh, 
I, I don't, you know, the, the expressions are expressions of, of fear and hope and everything kind of mingled together. And, and they're absolutely great. Peter and John run to the tomb. Was it a race? We don't know. We just know who won. He tells us twice that he won. Why didn't John go in when he first got there? And then Peter did. Well, we don't know that, but it's very consistent with who they were. It's very, very consistent with the characters that are revealed. Uh, at, the, at the supper over in chapter 13, when Jesus reveals it, that one of the disciples is going to betray him, John is the one, he's, 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 he's up next to Jesus. And he's just close to Jesus, just wanting to be close to Jesus. And Jesus reveals this terrible news. One of you is going to be, excuse me, betray me. I had too much fish. And, uh, and John, uh, you know, John, I'm sure, initially was kind of like, oh. but then it was kind of like, oh, I'm next to Jesus. You know, and Peter's over there going, ask him, ask him, do it. Come on, come on. Because that that's, that's who he was. You know, some people are wired that way. I'm actually kind of wired that way. Ask the lady who wouldn't leave the stop sign in front of me yesterday at, uh, <laughs> never mind. She, she was wired the other way. I hope she was enjoying Jesus' presence. But <laughs> Anyway, they get there, and they finally go in, and what they see is they, they see the grave clothes. And Matthew and Mark and Luke also report about there being an angel or angels. John doesn't say anything about that, but uh, all of them, all four of the Gospels, acknowledge the fact that the women were the first ones to the tomb. So what's new? You know, I, I'm going to take a bunny trail here. This isn't necessarily about Easter, but I just got to say it. Um, it's not at all about Easter, but I got to say it. Uh, you know, we have a lot of participation by the women, uh, by the gals in, uh, in, in leadership here at the church. And uh, some, most of the time people come and they're really cool with that. In fact, they actually like it. And sometimes people come and and they don't know what's up with that. And back when I was younger and they thought they could change my mind, they'd come and talk to me about it. But uh, they don't usually do that much anymore. I don't understand how anybody would think that the most faithful group of people in the body of Christ shouldn't be in leadership in the body of Christ. That's just how I see it. Because I know when it comes to faithfulness and when it comes to who's going to be there first and you know, when it comes to really laying down their lives in servanthood, I mean, we got some servant men here, don't get me wrong, but it's tough to, it's tough to beat the ladies. But anyway, the grave clothes and Luke mentions Peter going into the tomb and seeing the strips of linen and the fact that Peter didn't know what to make of it. And he didn't, he didn't know what to make of it because when they saw the strips of linen and the cloth that Covered its, his face folded up over here by itself. John tells us that. That had to be the last thing they were expecting to see. As they were running to the tomb, they probably thought, okay, there are, two, there are two options. He's there, and Mary's just got up too early this morning. Or he's gone. But not, he's gone and his clothes aren't. If someone died to, you know, a day or two ago and they're over at Woodfin's and you just got to steal that body, 
I mean, just, just something inside of you goes, you know, I mean, I know this is weird, but I've got to go get that body. We, we just can't let it stay there. We've got to take it someplace else. Are you going to take the clothes off before you sneak it out? We've got to go get that body, and we've got to take those clothes off. Police. That's a little too creepy. <laughs> And so what it could mean is, the only mean is the body's not been stolen. Something happened here that Peter didn't understand. John saw and believed. That's all it took. He went, I know what's happened. It says that they didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And there's, there's tons of Scripture about this, but I obviously don't have time to go into a lot of it. But very quickly... Uh, three things from the Old Testament. I, Isaiah 53, which is all about Messiah. Verse 9 says he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. But then verse 11 goes on to say after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Well, let's see. He's in the grave and then he's going to see the light of life. That sounds like a resurrection to me. Psalm 16, this was the text that Peter basically used on, well, used when he began to talk about Christ on the day of Pentecost. Psalm 16:10, you will not abandon me to the realms of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. David wrote this. And Peter, always quick on the uptake, pointed out that David's tomb is still here and it's occupied. So he didn't write this about himself. He was writing it about Messiah. And we are eyewitnesses of the fact that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. And then Jonah, the prophet Jonah. Most you're familiar with the story of Jonah. He was swallowed by the great fish and, and spent three days and three nights in the fish. And, and Jesus, over in Matthew chapter 12, was asked for a sign. And he said, well, he said, said something about the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It, it, it's, it's all full of, the Old Testament's all full of pictures. And, and, and Genesis 22, when, when um, uh, Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, there, there are things there. I mean, it's, it's all full of it. They didn't understand it until after it happened. But so what's new? We rarely understand things until they've already taken place and we can look back at them and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then we get to uh, Doubting Thomas here today. And I, you know, that's the name that's kind of been, the moniker that's kind of been hung on him, but I, uh, I, I think Doralus Thomas would be even better. <laughs> How many of you know that word? Doralus? Nobody? Somebody laughed. I, I, I figured that, oh, okay. Um, how many of you know who Eeyore is? Okay. Eeyore is the, is the donkey in, uh, in Winnie the Pooh. He is Doralus. A Doralus person is someone who always is, sees the sad side of things and always thinks, if it's bad, it's going to happen to me. That's who Thomas was. Over in chapter 11, when uh, Jesus received the news that uh, Lazarus was sick, 
and he spent three days where he was. He didn't, he didn't go to healing. And then he said, okay, let's go. We're going to go back to Judea now to, to, to Lazarus. And they went, Lord, they tried to kill you the last time you went back there. Yeah. And you're wanting to go back there now? And Jesus said, well, Th- Thomas has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go back and wake him up. Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. That'll, 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 that'll heal him. And Jesus went, he's dead. Going to go back, and I'm glad I wasn't there, because you need to see what's going to happen. Thomas is the one who said, let's go with him too, so that we will die along with him, I guess. And then over in chapter uh, 14, where Jesus was talking about, uh, he was going away. And he said, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So anyway, but this is, this is who Thomas was. And this was his, his character. And so it, it's no surprise that when 10 of his best friends came to him and said, we've got good news. Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, you guys always have good news. I don't believe it. I'm going to have to put my fingers in the nail prints. And I'm going to have to put my hand into his side in order to believe. And so this chapter opens with a disciple who saw grave clothes and believed. And then it closes with one who went, I got to touch him. I I don't even, I can't believe even what, what you said. Yeah, I know he said it was going to happen. You know, and then everything in between is included in there. I, I promise you that those other, that those other 10 guys, well, nine guys and some gals as well, filled in all of the blanks between those two extremes. And you fit in one of the blanks between those two extremes. Or maybe you are one of those extremes. So why did John write all of this? He tells us, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Kevin was saying it's not a mistake that you're here. It's not an accident that you're here. Before the creation of the world, God knew you would be here today. And some of you are here because Hey, it's Resurrection Sunday, and you know, he's, he's there, and you, you just, you just got to rejoice about it. Some of you, you're here because you believe, and it's Easter, and it's one of the days you go. It's just not there every day. Some of you are here because your mama will think she, you don't love her if you didn't come today. And she might be right. I don't know. (laughs) But God has every single one of you here for a reason. If you're a believer, what what difference does that make in your life? Does it really impact how you live? Does Does it really impact where you spend your time? 
how you choose to worship? Does it, is it something that is with you every day? Because if it's not, that needs to change. Yeah, you, you know, I, you're going to heaven. I, I mean, I believe you're going to heaven. If you, you know, if you, I'm not the decision maker, but I, I, think, I think you'll make it. If that's good enough for you, then good for you. But, but I know that there's more to life than what you're getting right now if he's not the center of it. And if you don't know him, you didn't come today expecting to give your life to Jesus. I know, because the day that I did, I didn't come expecting to give my life to Jesus. I just wanted to get my mom and dad off my back. And, you know, and I ended up st- stuck at their house on Saturday night. So, you know, had to, had to go with them on Sunday morning. But here's what happened. I didn't want to be a Christian because I didn't, because I didn't, because all the Christians I knew didn't have any fun. Well, have you been, did you pay attention today? I mean, this is what we do. We, we do this all the time, really, and not necessarily just on Sunday. And it's more fun than what you have. Tell you that right now, because I know. <laughs> And I didn't want to be a Christian because I didn't think Christians had fun. But I realized this is true. This is true. And if I, and if I turn around and I walk away from this, then I am deliberately going, I'm going to, I'm going to base my life on the lie. I don't want to base my life on the truth. I know this is true. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen which we have looked at, which we have touched and our hands have handled, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. And if you don't know him, this is a good day to do it. Would you stand with me? And would those who are going to pray with people come forward? And if you don't know him, this would be a good day to, to sneak down here because there'll be people coming down here praying, getting prayer for healing and getting prayer for relationships and getting prayer for wisdom and direction and guidance. You can just come get saved. And nobody will know until you go back and tell them, except your mom who went, I didn't know he was. If you don't need to come, worship with us for a while because... Because he's worthy and he's the center. Yeah. And he is coming back. Let me say one other thing. Ah, because... You know, that middle group, that group that believes but doesn't really necessarily walk it out. You don't have to get saved again, but rededicating your life to God is a very legitimate concept and a very legitimate practice. And if you need to do that, you come as well.
home. Because if it is, it's a, it's a sad place. You were created for something better. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent His Son into the world to create a new era, to create, to bring about new life. May that be born in you and may it be alive in you. And may the righteousness and peace and joy that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to those who believe be manifested in you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.